0: Attached show this is our first official segment for season two of wind down wednesday our show has moved to a new day and time and i am super excited caters to an audience and a vast a range of people where you will find all kind of different amazing guests on here, including community leaders, entertainers, authors, business professionals, entrepreneurs, you name it, we'll have them stop through. And I'm very excited about my guest this evening. I'm super excited. This young lady is a leader. She's a born leader. I think it's safe to say she's a born leader. She has her bachelor's Michigan University, her master's from Eastern, right, EMU come on now, they're in the building and so she's also a mother so that's a that's a role all in itself, I have to say, from mother to mother, that's a job that we don't get paid for with money, but we get paid in love, right? And so on this evening, we're going to tap into a couple of veins, but you know how we like to do, we like to get you comfortable. We've moved to the new day and time, 9 o'clock p.m., where you can have the opportunity to sit back, unwind, and just relax. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring my amazing guest on, Miss Kelly Coon. How are you? I'm great. Wonderful. So
1: excited to be here this evening.
0: Well, thank you kindly for taking time out of your evening to join me. I would like you, Kelly, to tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, the businesswoman versus the mom.
1: Yeah, I'd love to. So um, I was born and raised in Flint and I take a lot of pride from my hometown. Um, I, uh, to to your introduction, I have um, received both degrees from Eastern and Western. And it was shortly after my um, completion of Western that I was introduced to the nonprofit sector. And little did I know that that would create a pathway for me um, for a career. And I have only ever worked in the nonprofit sector. Um, I am extremely passionate about the work of nonprofits. My my passion is not for any one particular mission, but rather about ensuring that nonprofits have the operating environments, the resources, and an advocate to ensure they've got successful operating environments to carry out their own missions. Um, so, you know, working for the Michigan Nonprofit Association and now ascending into the president and CEO role, I can't think of a better place for my career than to be leading um, in this space at
0: this time. Well said, well said. And so that piece being the leader and the president and CEO of MNA, some people may know it as MNA and then some may know it as the Michigan Nonprofit Association. I, I wanted you to tell them that piece because it's like, first of all, being a woman A woman that's in a leadership role is amazing and I'm not just saying that ladies and gentlemen just because I'm a woman but it's amazing because you wear a lot of weight in a backpack that you carry on your back you're not just all about women you're about the people and that's something that I can appreciate about you as a person and all the roles that you have carried up to this part so I just have to say thank you for that oh thank you thank you you. you're absolutely welcome now tell us about motherhood Oh yes, motherhood.
1: So I am the mother of five children. I have three that are my own and I have two that are as close as you can get to being my own. Uh, They range in age from 17 to 5. And yes, we are on the go usually at all times. So we've got high school, uh, elementary school and a preschool. Um, So yes, we are very busy.
0: Yes, you have your hands full. I love it though. And you look very young. You look very <laughs> young. You don't look like you have five children. So kudos to you.
1: Well, thank you. I try to practice as much self care as possible. I just recently took up kickboxing, which seems Ooh. to be a really good stress reliever
0: for me now. Nice. You know, I vicariously will live through you. I've always wanted to take a kickboxing class.
1: Oh, I, I will tell you, um, the where I started, the women were so encouraging. It was all women and one man, and they were so encouraging and so helpful and patient as I got the moves under control, and it's, a, it's an amazing workout, and the time flies, and I would highly recommend it for anybody that is looking to try something new and to stretch yourself. It was one of those things I just woke up one morning and said, you know what, I think I'll give it a try. And... I've gone uh, eight, nine sessions now, and I'm hooked. Hooked.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Okay, okay. I like that. Okay. I'm going to have to follow that journey of yours and see how. (laughs) Yeah, okay, okay, okay. That's inspiring because it's really, I think it's two for one. You get to have some you time, and then you get to make yourself healthy. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. So tell us about the preparation to becoming the new MNA President and CEO. Like, what did that look like for you?
1: Yeah. So for me, I have been with the association for 14 years. So I uh, had several other nonprofit opportunities, including a former role where I was the executive director. So I've had some real, you know, direct experience in running and managing a nonprofit. But then I was fortunate to be offered an opportunity to go work for the association 14 years ago. Actually, this month. And so I had various roles there. I ascended into a vice president role. I worked for two CEOs um, in that role. And so I feel that my preparation and my, um, you know, time for preparing for this um, was right, right in the institution itself. So yeah, that's you know, direct experience in community, and then also working for the association is a little bit of what has prepared me for this position.
0: Awesome. That's kind of like—is it safe to say you started from the ground and you you worked your way right on up to the leadership role you're in?
1: Yeah, um, I definitely. I feel like uh, I was at a program level role when I first started at m um, and and definitely worked my way through the ranks um, into a couple of different positions, and then eventually the vice president role, which I feel uh, equipped me best. And I had a wonderful, amazing president and CEO, Donna Marie Brown who really allowed for me to spread my wings and really get an understanding of what it was like to be in her shoes as the president and CEO. And it was an amazing opportunity to lead side by side with her.
0: Awesome, yeah, I heard that. I never had the opportunity to meet her, but I heard that she was a really an amazing woman. She definitely is, definitely is. Awesome. When you hear people talk about the acronym DEI, what's the first thing that comes to your mind?
1: Yeah, uh, the first thing for sure that comes is when I just take each letter uh, you know, by itself. So diversity for me is diversity of thought and lived experiences. Equity is about meeting people where they are at and ensuring that the right supports align with those needs. And of course, inclusion, I feel is about creating a place where all are welcomed and can really bring their whole authentic selves. Um, that is how I think about the acronym DEI.
0: I like that. My son um, recently did an interview. He's an 11-year-old and he attends uh, Derby Middle School in Birmingham. And he recently did a um, interview with Evra Casemie. Oh going, yeah. Yeah, that's going to air very soon. And it was about DEI. And so it, it's. From a parent perspective, being an African-American woman and dealing or living in a community that's predominantly Caucasian, um, and just raising my children in this community, but also growing up in a very diversified uh, community myself, to hear it still being something that's relevant, like, I don't know if I thought as a child, like, things would be different when I became an adult, but They sway a lot. And, you know, in the past few years, in light of what's been happening with the whole George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the recent, you know, Ahmaud Arbery, it's like, there's a lot of tension. There's a lot of things that's going on where we might not say that the DEI is the model that we are, you know, walking around shouldering. So I know that you all... Uh, kicked off something within your company, within your organization, and I like to talk about it if it's okay with you. Absolutely. The anti-racism accountability and action cohort. I thought that was interesting, but I would like you to tap in and dive into that if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, happy to tap in and dive into that. And just to give a little context, you know, in the time frame that I've been at the Michigan Nonprofit Association, there has always been a deep commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And just about three years ago, we actually we had, we had a to our values so you know these are important values to me personally these are important values certainly as a white woman leading the organization and um and so when i think about the work that we are doing and and even reflecting on some of what you said um, you know, just in your own experiences with your son um, and your your feeling about the DE&I acronym. Uh, this, this body of work around the anti-racism accountability and action cohort is really important to us. Um, it's one of the programs that we had been working on um, before I even ascended into leadership. So ascension into this leadership allows for a continuity of programming. And in this case, this was one of those. It just kicked off for us. Um, because of the deep commitment that we've had, when, when and you referenced George Floyd, you know, we all of us at the organization were deeply impacted. We put out a statement um, as an entire organization calling for an end to racial discrimination, but there were a lot of us that still wanted to take action and do more. And so one of the things that we did was we created, um, and it was largely credited to my program innovation team for creating an opportunity where we could come together and hold space for individuals, especially right off of um, George Floyd, Um, to be able to have them come together and have a safe place for reflection and facilitated conversation. And this was open for anybody to come in and have a conversation, especially our nonprofit leaders. And from the feedback that we got from those community conversations, blossomed this idea of creating two separate cohort programs, one of which is the anti-racism accountability, but also we had lots of uh, leaders in the nonprofit sector, white leaders in particular, that were you know, reaching out to us for tools and resources and anything that we could offer for them as they were wanting to take action as well. And so we created this cohort um, and it was, and it is designed for men and women, nonprofit leaders who identify as white. It's an opportunity for them to better understand their whiteness, to deconstruct it and to work for racial equity. The course is not about shaming, guilt, or blame. It's really about um, having people actually feel that they have the eight change, oppression, and racism. And the 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 cohort is intentionally designed to be small. There's only 17 leaders participating in this cohort. And it's spread out every couple weeks, allowing for time for those that are in the cohort to reflect, to read, to build rapport. Um, There's a BIPOC Advisory Council that is informing um, the curriculum and checking in to see how things are going with the with the work. But I mentioned that, you know, the take action for us at the association wasn't just about the anti-racism accountability and action cohort that I just described. We also are launching a claiming our space cohort, and this is another online series. And it's a brave space for our BIPOC identifying leaders to affirm each other and build solidarity. It's a safe space for our BIPOC leaders to be in community with other leaders who understand what it's like to be a nonprofit leader of color here in Michigan. And we're actually still accepting applications for, and registrations for that cohort. The um, anti-racism one kicked off first um, at the end of January, and this one was delayed um, but we are um, kicking off both of those cohorts, um, again, as a response to helping those that are needing resources and spaces, safe spaces to
0: take action. Mm, very interesting. Okay. And how, if someone wanted to uh, get an application and sign up to be a part of that cohort, how do they do that?
1: Yeah, they can definitely do that by visiting our website, www. Uh, mna online.g So www.m as in Michigan, N as in nonprofit, A as in association, online.org. And there's information that's on that website for anybody that um, is interested in um, joining the Claiming Our Space cohort.
0: Awesome. You know, um, this is a tad bit off of our, our um, interview schedule, but I had the opportunity for the last couple of months to be a part of uh, helping to spread the word. And I did a few interviews on the mapping and the redistricting process. And I found a lot, I didn't know much about it initially when I started out, but I found it very interesting that you all were very, very a part of that um, involved in helping to try to help make a difference where people, This I don't know if a lot of people know this, but this was the first time in the history of Michigan that people, the people had That's the right. opportunity to use their voices and their platforms to go out and tell the commission how they needed their community to look. And so, you know, I tip my hat to you guys for that because you guys were very actively involved with that.
1: Yeah. um, And you're right. Absolutely. In the first time in history, the lines are being drawn for the people by the people and not by the people who represent the people. Right. And um, right. I mean, so for us, this this is this is critically important. This is a critically important body of work for us at the association. And for us, it didn't just start with the redistricting process. It actually, um, you know, if we go back a, a step before the redistricting process, we engaged in a initiative to get people to complete the census. So, you know, the redistricting process is, a, is something that happens after the census. So this is part of a larger body of work at M&A where we are looking at civic and community engagement. And um, while we've had a long history of that and a commitment to service and volunteerism, we realize that we could be doing more. And so leading up to census 2010, we actually piloted a really small cohort, but that informed a bigger body of work in 2020, where we actually raised $10 million and engaged more than 300 nonprofits who provide services um, and reach our most vulnerable populations all over Michigan to to, like, you know, while they're providing services, talk about the importance and the significance of census and what's at stake, right? And then Mm -hmm. also help people understand how to complete the census. Mm -hmm. But the body of work for census and redistricting is critical because we have found that um, in particular when there are pockets of our population that have been left out of those processes mm-hmm. or are intentionally left out, right? And so mm-hmm. our work was rooted in our value of diversity, inclusion, equity, and justice to say, sure, anybody can complete the census, but we're about working with communities where people were undercounted. Mm. Um, and Right. And so so we we our model for census was about working through nonprofits who are serving in communities where typically people were undercounted to, again, educate. And we defined those communities that were undercounted as racial minorities, seniors, homeless and people living in poverty, young children and immigrants. And okay. so our, our civic and community engagement definitely started back um, with the census work that we did on educating the importance of just being counted. And mm-hmm. then that moved into modeling and, and replicating that same model to engage nonprofits again in the redistricting process. Cause there was education around what's this re- independent citizens redistricting commission mm-hmm. and what's their job. and same In the same spirit of census, there were lots of voices in community that were not going to be representative represented in fair and you know fair maps, right. And so we mobilized a cohort again of about 38 nonprofits. And what they did was they um, they helped educate communities on the commission. They talked about the importance of fair maps. They even provided tools and resources to create maps. So in the redistricting process, they were known as communities of interest. And so um, they were able to provide public comment at hearings at the commission. And in the end, 48 maps from our 38 cohort members were submitted for consideration. We had one group that um, submitted a map and had over a hundred comments in support of how they drew their lines to define their community. And their community's lines are not driven by geography or political party. They were driven by the community and how the community defines their boundaries. And so the public comment around that, the ability to have and feel empowered to to make public comment and um, contribute maps was just extraordinary. And we were super proud of the 48 maps that were submitted. There were over 100 town halls, 12,000 people were reached. And that was just in the map drawing process. The other piece that we were involved in, too, was recruitment of um, diverse candidates for the commission itself. So Mm. if you're going to empower, you know, if you're going to have a commission who's drawing lines for the people, you know, in Michigan, it should be reflective of the, you know, demographics of Michigan. And so um, we also were really instrumental in making sure that people were aware of the application process, breaking down barriers for things like notaries um, who would have to notarize the documents and really just educating people on the importance of you know, this ability to serve in your community and in the commission. And we didn't have a super long timeline, but we were still successful in getting um, over a hundred applicants,
0: diverse applicants to submit
1: for the commission, so.
0: That's interesting. Your viewpoint kind of goes, I'm a part of team uh, Godbe. Uh, Ralph Gaby is running for District 13, the seat over there. And the representation piece, you know, no one left behind. Speaking for the people, the the forgotten, the lost, the people that haven't had a voice. It's it's, it's kind of aligning exactly what you're... It's almost like I'm listening to what he was saying. And one of the reasons I joined on to be on a part of making sure that everybody's included. No one's left out. And, and a lot of times we look at politics and and I, I make jokes sometimes and like, yeah, politics, politics, because there's a lot of nepotism, different things like that. But then you have an organization like your own that, that you guys bring forth and you're like, we're for everybody. Like when I did one of my interviews um, and I digress and I'll go back to what we were saying. There was a gentleman that was uh, speaking on behalf of the LGBTQ and it was just like they're their, their group felt like, hey, we're not being heard. We did the work, we, we we got out there, we used our platforms, our voices, we have support, but yet alone, we feel like our map was left out or they tried to cut right through their district. Yep. And I thought like, wow, that was deep and very interesting considering they have a lot of support, but not only just them, but people. When you tell me to come out and I'll say, little old me, you wanna hear my voice? You wanna, you wanna hear what I'm thinking? But then I get out there and somehow my map gets lost, or, or we didn't get that. But it's like, how? I was there, I was present. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah,
1: well, and you know, this is a long game strategy, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. each each time we can mobilize and engage communities, and each time we can ensure that there's resources to be successful and pathways for access to you know those resources, we're just, I think, getting one step closer to a bigger result but 48 maps is still extraordinary ensuring that people are completing their census right i mean this is you know these are acts of democracy that are so critically important to ensuring that everybody is engaged and involved and um yeah we're 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 going to keep working at it too we've got some voter education in the wings um and other things to just keep that civic and community engagement infrastructure in michigan strong
0: awesome so ladies and gentlemen don't forget that website kelly can you repeat that website if people want to join
1: absolutely it's www.mnaonline.org and you'll find information on everything that i'm sharing today at that um, website it's mnaonline.org
0: awesome and so could you tell us three short-term goals on your agenda as president
1: Yeah, so three short-term goals um, for sure is the continuation of building a 10-year strategy around a strong civic and community engagement infrastructure. That is definitely top of mind. Another goal is understanding the landscape of uh, and the demographics of nonprofits in Michigan, in particular where our BIPOC leaders are all over Michigan. Um, And also hopefully that, that demographic information and that initial data set will lead to more understanding of what are the needs of uh, our, our leaders in the sector and in particular our BIPOC leaders and understanding how we can uh, provide advocacy for that. So that's that's really the second um, goal that we have in mind. And really the third is just about continuing to build a strong team at the organization. I mean, you know, you can be so outward focused on the amazing work that we do at the association and lose track of the core of who get it, who gets it done, and that's the team at M and A. So certainly, as we're working through a CEO transition, I'm mindful of uh, keeping my finger on the pulse of what the needs are of my team um, at the association. So those are definitely the top three things that are uh, top of mind for me.
0: Okay. And where do you see yourself in the next five years, personally? Yes. All right. right. Um, I see myself
1: leading the Michigan Nonprofit Association for sure. Um, this is a career goal of mine to not only work for the association, but to lead the association. I um, I am passionate passionate about nonprofits. I hope that in the five years, I'm able to raise the profile of how important and significant nonprofits are. That there's this realization that they are critical to the fabric of community, if not essential to the fabric of community. So I'm. Um, That's what I'm leaning into. I'm going to raise children um, who, (laughs) you know, need (laughs) nurturing and make sure they have the supports to be successful because they are what inspire me every day to do this work. So I'm going to I'm going to be focused on making sure that they've got their their pathway set. I'll be sending one to college and, you know, in five years I could have a college graduate, which is so scary to think of, as well as a five year old that is 10 um, mm-hmm. And that's scary to think about too. So, yeah, so personally and professionally, I'll be continuing to advocate until people st- or make me stop around the importance of nonprofits and also raising kind, generous, and great human beings that understand the importance of giving back and living in a diverse, inclusive, and equitable
0: community. That's what I will be focused on look at that I like that (laughs) and my last question I would like to ask you so you sit on a couple of boards but what was it like to actually be appointed by Governor Whitmore to be a part of the bipartisan Protect Michigan Commission what was that like
1: yeah so that was me living out in my undergraduate days, a health educator's dream. Um, So my undergrad degree is in community health education. So a pandemic, you know, this is what you hear about and you learn about in the books while you're studying in school. And I am deeply passionate about public health as well. And so that was that was like a dream come true to feel significant and important enough to be appointed to a commission. Whose goal was to ensure, whether you agree or disagree with vaccinations, the goal was still to try and get as many people educated about vaccinations, the importance of vaccination. That's what the Protect Michigan Commission was about: was um, trying to get the uh, pub, you know, the public number or the population number at 70% vaccinated to weather this pandemic. And um, it was amazing to be appointed, um, at, you know. And just the experience of the appointment itself, as well as um, it's it was ninety different people on the commission, and it was amazing to hear the different perspectives and experiences, um, and just to see the power of community in that in that light. So it was bringing my world of community health education, which I haven't had a chance to lean into because I've been so focused on serving and working with nonprofits. um but it was it was truly an honor for me um, to be tapped for that opportunity. And and I was grateful for it. It was a year that I, that was, that I was on the commission.
0: Awesome. Well, I have to say, I have totally enjoyed my time interviewing you tonight. Thank you for being my very first guest of season two and giving me an amazing interview, sharing your insight, the journey that you are embarking upon. I believe is going to be Amazing. You have proven to be a leader. And I think that they made the best choice when they wanted to make sure that the role was filled by someone who had passion, integrity, and zeal for life.
1: Oh, thank you so much. And I am so honored to be your first guest in season two. Well, thank thank you. you. It has been
0: such a pleasure. I am so grateful. Well, thank you. I hope that you will come back in the future. Absolutely absolutely well I will hold you to that tell your team I said thank you for making this happen I am grateful I'm thankful to your children that TT said thank you so much for allowing me to steal their mom for just a little bit and your dog Jackson like hey thanks Jackson for letting me borrow <laughs> you for a little minute and um, I wish you the best of luck in what you're doing I hope that the people I hope that you are listening ladies and gentlemen don't forget to go to the website sign up if you want to be a part of this amazing movement that Kelly is actually spearheading and making sure that we are in position to make a difference. Run that website one more time, Kelly. Absolutely.
1: www.mnaonline.org.
0: Awesome. Thank you for your time. You have a wonderful day and you stay warm and safe, huh? Same to you. Same to you. Thank you. you again. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.